0: This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of the bestseller experiment. Pro Writing Aid is so much more than a grammar checker, it's a style editor and writing mentor all in one package. And what's more, Pro Writing Aid integrates the Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Go to ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the discount code BXP. That's ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the code
1: BXP. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy. And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. To read Back to Reality,
0: the best-selling novel of The Bestseller Experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And
1: subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe let's run the show.
0: Hello and welcome to the bestseller experiment where we discover what makes a bestselling novel while trying to write, publish and market one in just a
1: year. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe, and before we dive in, I want to thank our sponsors, Scrivener, the official writing app of the bestseller experiment. If you haven't tried it yet, pop along to literatureandlatte.com to try your 30-day free trial. So, Mark, our very special guest today is none other than best-selling author Joe Abercrombie. Tell us about Joe.
0: Well Joe um this was at Glancefest again Glancefest is just a cluster of best selling science fiction and fantasy authors and I was very keen to get some time with Joe because he's celebrating 10 years since the publication of his first book The Blade Itself which is uh, the first book in the First Law series and uh, this is one of my favorite fantasy series that I've ever read. It's it's in a subgenre of fantasy called grimdark, which is kind of if you're familiar with Gra- Game of Thrones, that's considered grimdark, and it, it sounds kind of dark and grim, uh, hence the, hence the name. <laughs> but what it's it's kind of stands in juxtaposition to the that classic Tolkien style of fantasy with the pure-hearted hero who's on a noble quest and up against a, an evil villain. What Joe and people like George R.R. R. Martin before him do, is they have – their heroes are much more compromised. Their villains have a certain amount of empathy to them. You know, they these feel like real people – and real situations and sometimes life is unfair people will be bumped off people will die people you love will be you know hacked to pieces in horrible ways so um, they're really really intriguing gripping books and uh, like I say Joe is celebrating 10 years since his first one which is called The Blade Itself and um, more recently he's written YA uh, books as well a little trilogy called The Shattered Sea series which are fantastic but when I spoke to Joe um, we started by talking about his short story collection and then
1: and then we got on to talking about being a writer for a living, which is very interesting. Well, it's, you know, the thing that fascinates me when we're talking about best selling authors as well is, is there's this incredible, like we learned with Shannon, just how, you know, you don't need to be writing specifically in what we think of as a typically mainstream genre to be a bestseller. It's what, what we're discovering is. You, become a, you can become a specialist in a particular genre and there are enough readers in that genre to, to become a bestseller. Is, is that what you'd kind of consider Joe to be?
0: Uh, I think so very much. He And uh, like Joanne Harris said, write what you love. And Joe writes the kind of stuff that he is passionate about and enjoys and that comes across in his writing. Um, but he has, as we'll see, I think he has a very professional attitude to, to his work and, and the way he approaches his work. Excellent. Let's have a listen to the interview. How you doing, Joe? Had a good, had a good day so far?
2: Yeah, no one's on fire, so a, we'll call that a
0: win. Okay. Excellent. Good, good, good. Um, sharp Ends. you want to talk about Sharp Ends? How did that come about?
2: It came about um, over the course of a few years. Uh, I'm not really a natural short story writer, I don't think. My first few books were all big, long stories, mm. as fantasy books often are. But I was approached about the possibility of contributing to a couple of anthologies with a, a lot of other writers in. Many of them are much better known than me, and that seemed like a good idea. Um, and so I started writing short stories for that reason, really. Uh, and then gradually I was asked to write short stories for other reasons, to appear in special editions of some of the books and things of that kind.
0: What would you say is a big challenge, the big difference between writing a novel and writing a short story?
2: Well, the novels are much longer, and the, the short stories are shorter. I see. That <laughs> is, th- you know, that's the main, I think that's the only real definite difference. I don't know, I mean, I, um, I think there is a certain kind of short story, the classic, real artistic short story, which is a beautifully self-contained episode with its own twist and its own comment and its own theme, you know. That's a particular... Art form that I'm not sure I that's have a, that sort of Roald Dahl model. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, or uh, an F. Scott Fitzgerald model, you know, with a beautifully a Henry James with a beautifully turned short story. I mean, that's not so much my thing, but I would tend to do more scenes, uh, you know, individual scenes that hopefully have a twist and a point to them. But I don't, I don't feel I've necessarily my natural length is is much longer. Um, but it reached a point where I've written enough short fiction for. I maybe had eight or nine stories and um, to consider putting together a a compilation of them all. And then because I needed to write three or four more, it seemed like a good idea to have a kind of set of characters uh, in the, in the Fafford and the gray mouse, a mold who I could come back to for kind of little episodes from a, a career of misadventures, if you like, that it would be, unify it and give it a kind of unifying thread.
0: Well, yeah, you. and it must be fun because you've got a very well-established universe now and you can go control, explore corners of it that perhaps a novel doesn't allow you to do.
2: Yeah, and I think also explore some a, a, a lighter tone, maybe, a slightly more disposable, slightly more comic tone of that classic sword and sorcery style, yeah. which I, I like and, and don't normally work in. So a different tone, a different set of characters, a different sets of situations, and but ones that kind of intersect with familiar characters and familiar places. So hopefully, you know, readers who've read the books will find, you know, some little corners explored.
0: Now, Joe, would it be fair to call you a best-selling author? Well, it's a, it's
2: a, it's a movable feast, that term, isn't it? Everyone calls themselves a best-selling author. Well, you, I
0: mean, legitimately, you've popped into the Sunday Times top ten a number of times? I have,
2: and, uh, yeah. And i made, made number three a few times, Excellent. you know, number three is... Very, very good. Okay. So I think, yes, I can yeah, officially. And even
0: the New York Times, I'm, I'm,
2: apparently I can call myself a New York Times bestseller, though. Not I've usually. not been near the top ten there, actually, so it's a bit of a lie.
0: Well, look, I'm going to ask you some bestseller questions. Then. Okay. okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's... <clears throat> did you... What was more important to you? Did you ever dream of being a bestselling author? Was it ever a chart thing or was it just about the writing?
2: Well, you know what Han Solo says when he said it's going to be more money than you can possibly imagine? He said, I can imagine quite a bit. Well, uh, I suppose you dream of huge success, don't you? When you when, oh, I did when I was writing, but you don't really have any idea what success as a writer looks like. Would that have, um,
0: uh, would that have affected your writing? Or do you think you write differently when you're kind of thinking, this, I want this to be a mass market, popular book, I want this to appeal to a wider readership as possible? Does that, does yeah. that ever enter into your mind?
2: Not explicitly, but I think at the same time i 'm really not someone who believes that that art and commerce have to be in opposition. You know, I think the best art often results from a lot of commercial constraints um, so I think you can see the difference between the first three Star Wars films where there were all kinds of creative constraints of time of money of what could be done technically that produced far better, more disciplined filmmaking than when you could do anything you wanted with the second three films. So I think often those commercial constraints and those thoughts of what's going to work for my audience help to channel and discipline what you want to do. I don't think it means that you're always asking yourself, what will the audience like? You know, you're not aiming for the lowest common denominator. You're still aiming to please yourself and to try and, and be edgy and and do something that, that, doesn't pull punches but at the same time i like things that are broadly relatively commercial you know um i'm not into obscurantism i'm not into some people like this therefore i can't because i'm too clever for that yeah. Yeah. um so i like to write things that you know i'd want to feel that there were things that readers
0: would like Glancefest, a big part of Glancefest now is the Writers Festival. It's very, very popular. I think it was the first bit to actually sell out. And there's obviously a lot of people here who, you know, want to know about how to write a best, or at least how to get published. Uh-huh. Can we can we there therefore talk a little bit about your writing habit? Are you Of course, sure, yeah. Are you a daily writer? Do you try and
2: write every day? Um, I, yeah. I mean, generally speaking I do. I suppose um, you know, there are times when I'm on holiday or weekends, I'm not always gonna manage it. But usually if I'm in the midst of a book, I'll I'll manage uh, maybe between one and 2,000 words a day. That's what I'm aiming for if I'm drafting. And then at the weekend, I'll usually manage to find time to do a few hundred just to top up a couple of days where I've fallen short, generally. So I'm aiming to do kind of six to 10,000 words a week.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, and yeah, to keep, keep going every day. I think, in a way, I try to resist the, the temptation to think of writing as something very creative and something terribly mysterious and something magical. You know, and try to look at it as work. Yeah. Um, In the end, it's easy to write and make progress when you're feeling inspired, but that won't happen always. And that is is kind of a a cliche. But what marks the professional, I guess, (laughs) is that ability to kind of make progress when you're not feeling that inspired. You know, because in a way, inspiration will get you through your first book, your first three books, and then you reach a point where inspiration inevitably withers a little. You still have your moments, but craft and dedication and good old British values of hard work have to come to kind of, uh, well, have to come to the floor, really. And you've got to find a way to make progress every day, even when you're feeling very down on what you're doing and when you're not feeling terribly into it. uh, You've got to keep on grinding away. Absolutely, it's Uh, about that chair time.
0: That chair time. Chair time.
2: Good. Uh, Are
0: you a are you a nine to five writer, or do you write in the mornings or evenings or
2: not terribly regular in that sense? Um, Because usually, you know, I'll have some bits going on a day. My children go off to school and they come back at three or four, and then it becomes a bit harder to work when they're around, and I get dragged into things. Um, So it's hard to be fully disciplined on the clock in that way. Um, when I'm really into a book and things are going well, hopefully I'll I'll do a little session in the morning and then I'll keep sort of dipping in for an hour, an hour and a half chunks throughout the day. And we'll probably write a little bit when everyone's gone to bed as well. So I'll kind of be working at an extremely inefficient and unproductive level all the time rather than compartmentalizing and effectively using my time. Yeah.
0: And social media is a big part of being an author these days. And you're very good on social media. You've got a very big following. Uh, Why, thank you. Is that, is that something that can, you know, you, the temptation to be distracted by that must be pretty overwhelming?
2: Yes. And I mean, I don't think any, very few writers anyway are kind of made or broken by their social media presence. You know, being good on Twitter is not going to sell really bad books. And likewise, being terrible on Twitter is, is not going to spoil the career of someone who writes great books. In the end, it's your books that are the thing, really. But I think if you enjoy having some contact with, with your readers, which is nice to do, writing can be quite a lonely profession. You sit there wrestling with your demons a lot of the time. So it's nice to have some contact with people and to remember there's, there's people out there who enjoy what you do. And uh, so, you know, I don't think you should see it as work that has to be done. But insofar as you enjoy being on Twitter and, and being involved with other, other readers and other writers,
0: it's, it's a good thing to do. Thinking back to before you were published, you know, you're sitting it's a there terrible time for everyone. Banging. You know, <laughs> the whole world. The whole yeah. world is just waiting for your gift. Oh, yeah. Uh, thinking back to that time and you're banging out drafts and, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking, is there a future in this? Should I keep going? Yeah. If you could go back and talk to your younger self now, is there a piece of advice you're giving?
2: I don't know. I mean, you know, it's 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 turned out it's turned out very well in in hindsight. Um, at the time, there was a, there was a period where I was trying to get published, where I was submitting to agents and uh, being rejected, and that was that was very hard. And you do constantly ask yourself, you know, is this good? I think to be a writer, you need, on the one hand, this towering self confidence that says what I've got to say is interesting, uh, that says. I can fascinate someone with a story to the point where they want to give me money for it. You know, that's a real arrogance you need to do that. And at the same time, you've got to have a certain degree of self doubt so that it doesn't become a completely self-obsessed thing. And, and so that you have the, the doubt to go over and over things and refine them and revise them and imp- learn and improve. So you are constantly try to keep those two things in balance. And obviously when you're submitting to agents and, and publishers and if you're getting rejected, which all writers do after all, pretty much, uh, it can be hard because that doubting part of yourself will grow and be fed um so i suppose i'd just tell, tell myself you know you've got to keep bashing away really you've got to keep going and try and be as confident as you can and and uh persist and hopefully things will pay off it's always a strange stroke of luck i think that brings any writer uh, a deal but you know the longer you dance around naked in the rain the sooner you'll be struck by lightning
0: right <laughs> That's lovely. That that's poetic. Yeah. I should I should consider that. Yeah. What did you ever get a, a piece of advice that sort of changed your the, the course of your career that, that spurred you on?
2: Um there's been quite a few, I think, various pieces of advice about at different times. The one piece that has really stood out to me was from my mum. Because all the best advice comes from mum absolutely, you know. yeah. And uh, this was when she first read some of my works. I finally plucked up the courage to show my mother my work. And, you know, many people say, don't trust the opinions of your parents because they'll always say, oh, that's great. that's that that's wonderful. Exactly. Not my (laughs) mum. The most savage of critics is my mother. And uh, the one thing she did say was she read over something that I'd written and said, you know, you've got to be honest always. You've got to be truthful This was some cliched shite I'd no doubt put down. And she kind of said, any metaphor you write, rather than reaching for the easy cliche, ask yourself, is this real? Is this true? Is this the way the thing really looks? Is this the way the thing really feels? Don't just reach for a thing that sounds clever or sounds right or fits the rhythm. Reach for the thing that is true and genuine. And apply that to everything, the way things look, the way things feel, what the characters say. Would someone really say that thing? Is this the way people really speak? And if you're always asking yourself, is this true? Hopefully there'll be some kind of spark of honesty there that can make the most cliched scene seem truthful all over again. Because often I think people don't want things that are new necessarily. They want the familiar told in a new way. They want the familiar with an authentic voice. So originality can be very overrated, I think. It's like curry powder. A little goes a very long way. <laughs>
0: yeah. You're very good with the, the metaphor and simile today. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But good. is it
2: true? That's is it true, to us. yes,
0: yes. Um, can you describe the moment when you were first told that a book was selling well, that it was potentially a bestseller? Was that a good moment? I mean, obviously it was a good moment, but was it... I always wonder that... Once you hit a peak, does it add pressure on for the next book?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's. it's interesting you say that because I can't remember necessarily a first moment where I kind of perceived things were going well. It's a very, for for the vast majority of writers, it's a slow build. I mean, particularly in genre. um, I mean, I think there are literary authors who will appear with a massive book and make a massive splash. That does happen. It's still rare. Um, but with genre it tends to be a long slow process and you know when my first book came out it didn't come out with immense fanfare and a huge splurge of reviews or anything it just kind of slips out there and then it's often a few months before anyone reads it and so it was years you know it was a process of years really even to the, reach the point where I was writing full time so there was certainly a, a moment I first made the bestseller list which was a, a you know a big satisfying moment of wow this is you know clearly a, a step on but I think also, you're always looking slightly to the next thing. Um, whenever a book comes out, you're in the midst of writing your next book, generally, so you're worrying about making that thing work, you know, and uh, you almost don't notice what's going on with the book because you finish writing that. Your work on it is done. It's out there with the public. Maybe you finished it years ago sometimes. Um, so you're always looking on, and it's kind of a difficult profession in that sense. So rare are the moments where you suddenly take stock and think, "Ah, oh, you know, actually things are going really well. And there's always other people who are doing better than you as well. And you're always slightly thinking, ah, oh, that guy's done better than me. All right, all right. I need to beat him okay. or her. <laughs> so Gets you out of bed. In the morning. Oh, the venomous ambition and competitiveness. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um, for those aspiring writers out there, is there, what's the one piece of advice you would give them?
2: Oh, I mean, uh, writing's very much not a one size fits all thing. Um, I suppose it's find your own, try and find your own voice in a way. And, and, that honesty again i think is connected to that you know don't write what you think people want to read don't write something that's like what something else someone else writes necessarily really try and find your own voice say what you genuinely think don't say what you think you're supposed to think yeah. um because what i react to when i read a book that I, and i find myself really enjoying a book is that voice it's that authenticity it's that sense of someone describing something saying something in a way i would never do myself but that feels entirely real and believable. so the vivid voice is what i always react to and uh in the end that's more important than any of the details of what your story is or the kinds of characters you're writing about it's that that vivid voice and that kind of sense of being talked to by someone fascinating that's unlike other people that's what you need very good and what's up next for you I am writing more books uh, set in the same world as my original adult trilogy, the first war. Um And uh, I am writing another trilogy, is, is the plan. So I'm kind of about halfway through a draft of uh, the first of those three books. But it's uh, a loose draft. That's what I'm going for now. The loose fit. Rather than be tight and try and revise things and get them good quickly, I've decided to write a really rubbish book that I'll then go back and tighten
0: up it sounds like a plan yeah uh and for those few people who aren't following you online where can they find you
2: oh those poor benighted fools they can find me uh on twitter generally at lord grimdark is my uh my handle and you have a very good
0: blog they just look up joe because uh, yeah, the thing I'm, you do is you give a very good insight to all aspects of you talk about cover art and stuff like that
2: yeah i mean i certainly have i i've blogged a lot less of late twitter's become much more my main thing partly because i've I've gone over all the kind of different elements of the process as books have been published. But there's, a, there's an on. archive there that people can oh, find. there's a positive treasure
0: trove Excellent. of insights yes, to be found on there. Right, I think you have to go now. So I shall. thank it's you. It's been for a, a pleasure. Thank you for your time, Joe, and uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, Tuesday. thank you.
1: Thanks. Lord Grimdark, what a fantastic Twitter handle that is. And his wife, who's a photographer, she's Lady Grim. Well. <laughs> I not imagine what the kids are called. But uh, That was that was a really, really fascinating interview. I, there was a lot of, oh, so much I took from that. One one of the things that really jumped out for me, Mark, and it, it's a bit of a theme that we're starting to see actually amongst a number of our guests. And that is that Joe did actually dream of, of huge success like as he was, In that process of probably moving from the day job to the dream of being a full time writer, he was allowing himself to like play with that fantasy. And I think that's really important.
0: Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, he doesn't sit back and daydream, he works at it. And the thing I was hearing again and again and again all the way through that is he balances the artistic side of things with the professional side of things and he applies himself to it. Uh, You know, he said writing isn't magical, it's work, you know, and he sets himself a target of six to 10,000 words per week. Now, when you compare that to someone like Shannon who can knock that off in an afternoon, (laughs) um, it might not seem a lot... But certainly when it compared to some other writers, it is a lot. And it's steady, you know, it's a steady, it's steady word count. And, you know, he says things like art and commerce are not in opposition, you know, and you can please yourself and be commercial. That's a very, very professional attitude. And there's a, I really admire that. Joe's one of those authors that when I think of the author I want to be, he's he's the kind of author I visualize being like, mm-hmm. you know, someone who applies himself where it's very, very hard and is, you know, very creative as well. And uh, I think he, he has that, ba- more than most authors, I think he has that balance sorted, you know.
1: Yeah, well, it's an interesting one as well, because I've come across and I've worked with many people and I've been doing collaborations with music. And, you you know, you do find within the arts, whether it's, whether it's music or writing or acting, there are certain people who are very much 100% committed to the art. And and there is, you know, to even talk about business or, or anything around the idea of, you know, earning money for a living, doing what you do, uh, it's almost like it infiltrates um, the purity of the art form. And I think what's really fascinating is Joe definitely sees both sides. He's come from, you know, a background where he's been working, you know, for, for having yeah. a normal day, normal job, as it were. Um, and that and that thing of being a pure artist,
0: that's great and that is to be admired. But we're working in the sphere of we want to have a bestseller. We want to appeal to the mass market. And I think when when you're doing that, then you do have to take on these commercial considerations. And that doesn't necessarily mean massively compromising what you write. Mm. But yeah, I think it 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 it's um you know, like he says, it's 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 not magic you know it's work uh i love the phrase he 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 used as well which is you know the the professional makes progress when they're not feeling it you know it is like going to a job and applying yourself and sitting down and pushing the boulder up the hill you know yeah Uh, even when you don't feel like it whereas the artist you know waits for the muse and strikes when the muse hits them and that's fantastic and there are people who who I know, you know, writers and artists and musicians who do that and the work they do is just fantastic, but uh, it's not delivering to order. And if you're an author who and this goes for independent authors and published authors because if you're an independent author you're going to have a, a readership out there who's expecting new books again and again and again mm. if you're signed up to a publisher you might have a 3 book contract and you've got to deliver a book a year and if you miss that then you'll start getting a reputation as someone who doesn't deliver someone who you know who's who's problematic and that can endanger your career so it ups the stakes when when uh when there's expectation.
1: Then. Yeah, that's I mean there's a whole there's a whole episode I think we could we could talk about and um, with regards to the kind of the importance of deadlines. I think that's a massive one especially for indie authors of which you know I know there's a ton of ton of indie authors listening to this podcast. So one of the, one of the things that uh, I I really I really find fascinating with that whole balance is is do you know that question if you want to be a bestseller, do you have to see it as work? Because i i had this I had this thing when I first started my own businesses up, um, going back about fifteen twenty years ago. Now, what I found interesting is I, I was doing what I loved. I, I was living my passion, and I dropped the word "work" from my vocabulary because. I felt like every day I was like a kid in a sweet shop, you know, I was playing with my passion. And I always tried to get away from that word work. So I I didn't want to associate that with, you know, the office and the manager telling you what you have to do. So when you write, I mean, do you see it as work or do you see it as play?
0: Um. I see it as a necessity. I'm compelled to write. I write every day because I enjoy it and it is problem solving. And yeah, I mean, sometimes first thing in the morning, it's kind of right. Okay, where are we today? What have we got to do? Okay. And it's, it's, it's. You you know, when you sit at a desk and you lay out things for the day, you maybe do a to-do list or something. It's it's the same kind of thing there. You know, I I kind of say, okay, this is what I want to achieve today. Let's see if I can get to the end of this chapter, or the end of this scene, uh, and work on it again and again and again. Mm. So, you know, you set yourself goals and you try and achieve them. And if
1: that's work, that's work, you know, so. Yeah, I guess it just depends. I mean, I'd say going to work, sitting down at the desk, that's the working bit. But once you're actually sitting down, that's when the play begins in terms of having fun but i do take what joe said about you know he was saying it's quite interesting what didn't he say you know after the first you know one two three books it suddenly suddenly it can you know the muse and the enthusiasm can can sometimes drop and i'm sure that's a lot people experience that i think even through, through a book as well like you kind of have that big honeymoon period and then you kind of hit that middle part of the novel where you're trying to piece it all together and I guess that probably does feel like work in the sense that you're kind of grinding something out and having to really push through it.
0: Yeah, and it's a problem that... Um authors you know if you have a debut novel you might have spent spent 10 years writing that thing perfecting it working on it again and again suddenly the publisher turns around and says yeah you know what, we need a second one in a year <laughs> and it's that it's that difficult second album thing where yeah. you, you and you know you get authors you you can go a bit deer in the headlights thinking okay um so
1: it's you just have to you just have to get on with it mm. you know I found it really interesting as well. I mean, the, the vivid voice came up a lot. I loved that saying that Joe talked about the vivid voice, and this yeah. idea of of his mum. <laughs> It'd be great. It was so funny what he said about his mother actually, because that's the one thing that I always say to people with music: don't ever play your. Don't star. ask your mum. Don't yeah. ask your friends and family because they'll all tell you it's brilliant, and you know the people you really want to ask are people who are willing to give you a, a genuine opinion on just how bad it really is <laughs> so but it was interesting and but he talked about it, what came out of that for, for him was this idea of this vivid voice about being authentic and and i really love that that he even said actually didn't he He said that it's more important the voice is more important than even what's going on in the scene and the plot it's like if you if you yeah if you want if, and it's true in some ways isn't it like if you you'll sit with someone who's interesting to listen to even though they might be telling you t- complete... T- complete bollocks. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's yeah.
0: absolutely true. But, but
1: so absolutely so true. something that we'll obviously have to think about in terms of our novel, which will be interesting because we'll have this dual voice because it will be both yeah. of us writing, which is going to be really, supping upping the stakes a bit. But for, for, you know, in terms of if you're listening out there writing a book, you know, what is your voice? Have you discovered it? Have you played with it? And I think uh, this idea of making it vivid is really, really crucial
0: yeah and it's it's it goes back to again the advice joe's mother gave him which is be honest be truthful is this real it's interesting that was applied to metaphors as well and that that's a problem when i look at back at my very early writing I'm trying to be far too clever by half, particularly yeah. with metaphor. Mm. And that's that's kind of a hangover from school. I, I see this with my kids at school. They're taught to use wow words, you know, when they're describing stuff, certainly mm-hmm. when they're at primary school. Use wow words, great verbs and adjectives to describe. And you sit there thinking, if you show that to an editor, they're just going to put a red pen through All of that, you know, it's uh, that 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 thing of, you know, trying to speak like Stephen Fry or Douglas Adams, you know, it's uh, I'm not Stephen Fry, or Douglas Adams, you know, it's it's it just comes across as pretentious. You have to you have to right the way that you speak i guess you know and that that's that's the voice and we've said this before with with uh previous guests is you know it's it's like trying on someone else's shoes but eventually you realize that you know your shoes fit you for a reason
1: you know they're your shoes yeah yeah i don't
0: know where i'm going with that metaphor yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know it's very important i think to uh to think about you know how do you how what is your voice how is it vivid and if you i guess one of the one of the indicators might be that if you're delving a bit too much into the, the thesaurus maybe you're trying to uh, yeah. expand your vocabulary like my voice is is you know we all have a set amount of vocabulary uh some of us more than others and i think just work with what we've got because if we're trying to make it too like you're saying with the children writing in, in in primary school if we're trying to make it sound too wordy then that's not our voice so yeah i no, think that's I really, mean- really fascinating Never use a word that you would
0: never normally use.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah, um,
0: I might occasionally use a word like "lifluous," you know, but it's not Oof. something I regularly use in in conversation. So perhaps yeah. it's best avoid it. Yeah. Keep it simple. I mean, there again, there is a kind of writing, particularly literary writing, artistic writing. I read a book over the summer called "The Vor," uh, which is V O R R H by an author called Brian Catling, and he is. A poet, he's an artist and a poet. And about two pages into the book, I thought, I can't speed read this. This I'm going to have to take my time with because he had such a wonderful turn of phrase, so descriptive. For just a few words, he could really put an image of something in your mind. And it was fantastically vivid, but you couldn't rush through it, you know? And I think because he's an artist and a poet, that's how he speaks, that's how he thinks. Mm. If I tried to write like that, it would just come across as a pretentious <laughs> twaddle. But because it was coming from Catling, who's this great artist, it felt real, it felt truthful, and it was incredible. Now, there's a, there's a part of you as an author you read that and think, "I'm never going to be that good. I'm not going to be that artist." Uh, yeah, but the point is, you don't you don't have to be that good. Exactly. If you can accept that, you're going to be fine. You're going to be happy. If you keep trying to write like Proust or Brian Catling, or, you know, uh, one of the one of the great classic authors, then you could be on a hiding to nothing, you know. So, and again, if you're talking about commercial fiction, I think you need to, you're telling a story
1: and you need to keep the, the voice truthful to yourself. Really, really interesting, yeah. And actually you talk about, uh, you know, the, the comparison to other authors and, Actually, I think once you become comfortable with your voice, you know that you can't be compared with anyone because there's only one you, and there's only there's only that unique voice you have, and you can start to let go of you know that comparison. And that's one of the biggest killer killer of dreams. Again, as authors, is that we we can always find another author, uh, or yeah, in my case, another musician us, yeah. who's way better than us. You know, we'd always there's always someone to I aspire to. I don't have me. to look very far, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true though, isn't it? If we all look. Everyone looks at their you know, their bookshelf, pretty much every book on there, you probably say, I wish I can one day write as well as, or have a book as successful as, but it's not about that. It's about thinking if my, if, you know, if, if your voice is interesting, then people are going to be interested in reading about it.
0: Yeah. Though Joe did say, and this isn't something you hear authors say very often. He did say in that interview that he'll see others succeeding and he'll think I have to do better. And I think that's interesting because you won't get many authors who will admit to that, yeah. who will say, yeah, I'm looking at my peers and my contemporaries
1: and they're writing better stuff than me. I have to up my game. Well, I'll tell you a little story, which is really fascinating yeah. on that basis. I, I, I knew a chap when I used to live in Cambridge in England, which was kind of like the Silicon Valley of, of England. There were all these IT companies setting up in the mid-90s. and There's one chap that created a kind of a mini Google uh, search engine company, and he sold his company for a, about fifteen million pounds, I think, which is about what, twenty-five million dollars. And okay. what was really interesting is three years later I bumped into him and I said, So how's how's it all going? You know, all this cash in your pocket. And he said, Oh, still trying to get on the rich list. <laughs> and so oh. and I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting this kind of, oh, it's amazing. We've been to the Bahamas, we bought these houses, you know. But he the whole his, he'd kind of reset his expectation. Now it was no longer about, you know, breaking out of the grind of everyday life. Now it was about, you know, getting into the top 250 richest people in the country. And I think in some ways that's a bit of a trap. It's a massive oh, trap yeah. actually when I, it comes to I, money. I, I, but I can't, I mean, money is empty calories. You yeah, know? of it's, course. Um, whereas I think what Joe's striving for is to be a better writer. Better writer. So when you compare yourselves yeah. to other writers, the great thing is that no matter how good you are, no matter how at the top of I mean, even J.K. Rowling must look at some authors, even though she's I was she the most successful author alive today, I don't know. Yeah, easily.
0: And I, I, think, I think J.K. Rowling, Stephen King, I, I'm sure they all have moments where they're completely racked with doubt and wonder if they're doing the right thing. At least I hope they are. Yeah, <laughs> we hope for all the rest of us again.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, the other thing that came out from, from Joe's interview as well was he used that word persistence. And what I'm trying yes. to do through all of these podcasts, I'm trying to pick up these, these things that keep cropping up and the words persistency seems to be one of those common themes that we keep seeing so um we have to take note of that because i think no matter what no whatever stage you're at through your book there's always a point where persistency has to kick in to help you get through yeah yeah definitely and what, what i also found interesting just from a perspective of
0: someone who works for his publisher and was there when joe first arrived i remember reading his manuscript being very excited by it selling it to you know the retailers and joe said oh there was no i've arrived moment it takes time you know you got to build build your readership there was no big moment and but i from our point of view joe's first book was so much fun to read and so exciting that we had it on the list that for us for us from the first day we always thought of joe as a star we always thought this guy is something special and you know we wanted to go out With as big a splash as possible with the debut book, and obviously, you know, you're not going to get in the top ten necessarily with a debut fantasy novel. Genre is difficult. You do have to build. But for us, for the publisher, we did think of him as 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 a star. Um, It's just up to us to convince the rest of the reading public that that he is. But for you know, it's um, it's interesting that he's again, I guess, because he still had a day job. You know, he's he's got a young family, and uh, so for him, it's it's getting to a level where he can drop the day job and and then concentrate on it full time i guess
1: yeah and i found it interesting as well he said that you know his routine and i guess this is probably a very individual thing but his routine was kind of based around his family life like the kids would come home in the afternoon and he'd he'd no doubt get get distracted or come bundling into his writing area and start like jumping on him and wanting to play on his computer and stuff but I'm, i'm wondering um you know, in terms of, in terms of that routine, it, it makes me kind of wonder, you know, I, in fact, I, I want to nick the question of the week this week, if you don't mind, Mark, because this is a big thing. I think there's a lot you of people... You can't that, hijack
0: I, it from well, our, our
1: listening public. I know, I know. I'm, I apologise to everyone who sent a, a question, but I think, you know, we've had a number of questions around this theme, so I'm going to try and just kind of summarise them. And we talked before about when to write, like the the routine of writing
0: we were we were talking about regular writing you know and the fact that we shouldn't fetishize the writing process whereas r- routine i think it's a question of, you know, it, like we said earlier, you sit at a desk or wherever you, wherever you are, and you, you try and make it a daily, regular thing. You know, you, you have to, you have to approach it with a professional attitude. I think you, and on the days when you're not feeling it, you've still got to do it, you know, and part of that routine, it, it's not just about the writing, it's about improving yourself. Part of your routine should be about making it better. And then when you've finished it and you're sending it out there, I guess part of the routine of being an author is dealing with rejection, you know, balancing self-confidence, self-doubt. Uh, Joe had a lovely phrase. It was something about um, you know the more you dance in the rain, the sooner you'll be struck by lightning. Uh, well, which... Through the word naked in there, if I remember. <laughs> well, that's his own choice. Yeah, well. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, writing is, is isn't just about putting words on on the page. It's it's a, it's an attitude, I think, and the you know your mind is always ticking over, and I think that's the routine is have your ideas radar always. On. So when you're talking to someone and you have an idea, jot it down. I think that's. It's not about, you know, the routine of uh, of actually sitting and writing. It's the routine of thinking like a writer, mm. of having a writer's mentality. Uh, and again, if you're a best selling. You're aiming to be a bestseller or a commercial author, I think you need to to always be on the lookout for new ideas because you are going to need to deliver on a regular basis. And that goes if you're an indie author or if you're a, you're, you're with a publisher. You know, you if you're not delivering on a regular basis, there's plenty of other books to read. You know, so you need to keep your readership on the hook and and
1: and entertained. Yeah. And that's hard. That's really really hard. I'd be really interested to hear about people who are joining us on this journey about their routine. Maybe if they wanted to pop along to the Facebook page and tell us what routines work for them. I think, you know, we can inspire each other with different types of routines we have. I'm very much the kind of, you know, I'm in my office at nine o'clock in the morning and, you know, I'll I'll have a lunch break and I'll work right the way through to, you know, late afternoon, early evening. And I think that, you know, that works for me, but it doesn't work for everyone. And I think when you move into that professional writing sphere, um, you know, as Joe said, he's kind of like his penance was having to top up a few hundred words at the weekend if he hadn't quite hit his target. But again, another theme that we're seeing about the importance of word count and having a, an idea, it's, it's in some ways, it kind of reminds me, you know, it's funny, Mark, it kind of reminds me a bit of people who are massive runners you know people that go out and do those five 10k runs and they're up yeah. before work and then it's all about how many k did they cover during the week it's almost very similar to that with writers and, and it doesn't matter whether they were slow or fast kilometers they were still kilometers and it's the same with you know it doesn't matter whether they're good or bad words but you did the words and that's the thing that really is uh, you know coming home for me with that so excellent stuff so I think we're uh, ready for a bit of a a quick one-minute motivation, Mark, around... um, yes. Let me assume the position. Absolutely. Are you ready? And I always like to draw something from what we've been talking about here. Um, And the motivation this week is around persistence. Because as we've learned from Joe today, persistency is key to everything. And this is... It doesn't matter if you're writing a book if you're applying for a job, um, if you're doing any other form of artwork or you've got a major dream, persistency is absolutely crucial. And if you don't have persistency in your mix, then it will not happen. It absolutely will not happen. So the way I look at things is... The things that stop us from, from being persistent is when we hit some kind of brick wall or some kind of failure. It might be rejection of a novel. It might be hitting that middle part of the book where you just don't know where to go. And that is where you have to reach for persistency. So the minute you feel crushed by something... Rather than dwelling on the woe is me and, oh, you know, I, you know, I knew I wasn't cut out for this. You have to reach for persistency. You have to ask yourself, what do I need right now to push through? Because if you look back, whether it's the Beatles who were rejected by, you know, 42, all the major record labels there. Whether it was J.K. Rowling that I believe had her book for, with many major publishers until she was finally picked up by, by someone. The thing that kept them going was persistency and never giving up. You've got to believe that it will happen. It will happen, not can happen, or might happen, or you might get luck. You've got to believe it will happen. And that's where you hang on to persistency. So we must remember that, Mark, as we hit the middle of our book and start wondering where we go next.
0: What what you're saying is to keep dancing naked in the rain. Absolutely. Keep dancing naked in the rain. And uh, if if any of our listeners have been arrested for such a crime, uh, Mr. (laughs) DeVoe will uh, testify for you in court as a character witness. Absolutely. Uh, uh, What
1: about (laughs) Persistency Gov? (laughs) Give him a break. (laughs) Your honor. <laughs> Excellent stuff. <laughs> Excellent. And don't forget to nip over to our website, bestsellerexperiment.com, where we are compiling the very best of this show, the best tips from million selling authors, million selling publishers. And you can download your free copy. And then each week we're going to be emailing you kind of updates of the summary of the best tips. So pop over to there. You can also join us on social media at bestseller experiment on Facebook and bestseller xp at twitter and you can follow us on twitter too
0: i'm at mark stay and mr devoe is at four thousand saturdays four zero 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 saturdays i have a blog as well i uh, called unusually tall stories and i write about writing stuff on there as well
1: and we'd like to thank again our sponsors of the show scrivener If you are a serious writer, this is the tool for you. You've heard Mark and I are using this now for our novel. And one of the incredible things is they've just come out with a new iOS app. So if you've got iPhone, um, iPad and the like, pop over to uh, iTunes and you can buy this app for so, so cheap. And I have done it this week. I have taken a plunge and I'm going to start looking at writing the novel that mark and i are writing together on both my pc desktop and i'm also going to go out and about and try it out on the ipad and i'll report back some of the things that i discover so it's an incredible app it actually can pull files from places like dropbox so wherever you are whether you're traveling on a bus down at the beach Or anywhere else, you can now write your novel and um, I'm really excited to try it out. So pop over to literatureandlatte.com to find out more about Scrivener, both as a Mac and PC software and also the new iOS app. Also, remember that you can pop over to our website to enter a number of different competitions that we've got live right now. You can win Michael Connolly's latest book, Signed. And we've also got Brian Cranston's memoir, A Life in Parts, signed along with, are you ready for this? A pair of signed tighty-whities. Mr. Walter White, Breaking Bad, he has signed us a pair of tighty-whities. And um, we found out the other day that apparently Tighty Whitey's actually auctioned on eBay for nearly $10,000. So pop over to the website and enter now. Brilliant. And we just want to thank everyone who's gone over to the podcast on iTunes and rated it and reviewed it. We really do appreciate that. And please, please, yes. please do remember to subscribe, rate and review. It makes such a difference to getting it out there and helping. Because we do, we're going to say this again, you know, we see a car crash happening in our world right now trying to get our bestseller. But we know that out there, one of you listening will get inspired to write a bestseller. So if you are, make sure you come to the website and join us to sign up to this 52-week incredible wacky races that it's rapidly becoming. And, and really, you know, write your own book. Let this be an inspiration. And see what can happen because we do want to tell the story of the one person that had the major bestseller. If it yeah, isn't well, yeah.
0: you, you know, we talked about looking at other authors, seeing them succeed, and wanting to do better. Well, well yeah, there you the, go. The,
1: uh, one of our listeners, one of our guys or girls out there, is is definitely going to be us steward, <laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> brilliant. So thank you so much for joining us. We hope you feel inspired coming on this journey with us, and we really appreciate you tuning in each week. So until next week, it's goodbye from me, Mark One. That's goodbye from me, Mark 2. Goodbye! <laughs>